What's up, guys? Welcome to episode four of season two of the fitness experiment. How you doing, Jesse? Good, man. You? Good. Pretty good. That's good. Today, we're going to get into some injury stuff um, and so much more. So some conscious versus unconscious stuff so that we kind of got onto this the other day. It just came up. Um, I don't even remember how we got chatting about this, but just the idea that for instance, you get injured in a competition or a sporting event, you don't even really feel it at that time. And then it's not until the kind of the minutes and sometimes maybe even hours afterwards that you start to feel that. And then this kind of just snowballed. Like we got into you, if you talk about lifting percentages, so let's say we're going to lift, say like 90% of a one rep max or whatever it may be, you have, you have that ability to lift it unconsciously because you've kind of developed that you've developed that strength required and the neural networks required. And so by the time you actually go to make that lift, the only thing actually stopping you is more of the conscious side of things. So your actual mindset. So I think that's going to take us in a number of different directions today, but ultimately the point of this is, Oh, and one more thing I wanted to mention was maybe some people have heard of something called the 10,000 hour rule. So this is kind of perfectly in line with that as well. So this is the idea that even the most skilled athletes of all time, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky, you name it. So people will often argue, you know, they were just born that way. They were blessed with that skill. Well, I and many others would argue that's not the case at all. And in fact, they've achieved or completed what you would call the 10,000 hour rule. So this is a concept that says if you practice one particular skill for over 10,000 hours, then you've successfully created the neural networks in your brain to constantly fire that skill over and over again, unconsciously without you even thinking about it. So actually a good example of this would be, I know this isn't sports, but this is a good example would be someone who kind of just like unconsciously goes up there and plays a ridiculous piece on the piano. Well, because they've been working on this for over 10,000 hours and then they've, they've developed these neural connections in the brain so that they don't even have to consciously think about doing that. And it just happens. And so, and there is a good book on this. I, I couldn't think of the name of it. Maybe I'll think of it before, before the end of it, but essentially with these top athletes, other top athletes, um, and the, not even just sporting events. I just gave you an example of a non-sporting event, but essentially they put in those hours at a young age, over 10,000 hours. It could just be like stick handling with a ball in the driveway, shooting a puck in the backyard, whatever. But as a young kid, they accumulated those hours, whether they knew it as a child or not. And then that's what led them to achieve that greatness later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And to put that in perspective, <clears throat> how many hours 10,000 actually is. Oh, yeah. I just did some quick math. Like if you worked... 24 hours straight, seven days a week with no break, it would take you over 415 days to accumulate 10,000 hours. So that's around the clock every week, right? Um, You're looking at Over over a year. So obviously nobody's able to do that. Yeah. So you're looking at a long time, basically. 
is uh, the point there. Like, this isn't something that, um, like, if you show up an hour and do, like, an hour of work three times a week, like, that yeah. extends that 10,000 hours out over quite a long time compared to somebody who's able to put in more hours in a bit of more yeah. condensed, a little bit more density in the work that they're putting in. I think if someone's sitting there thinking 10,000 hours, that's bullshit. How can you put that much time in? Well, think about a kid by the time they reach the age of 10. If all you're doing is say six hours per day, well, that's about 25%, right? Of 24 hours a day, meaning that you just multiply the total by, so that would, you could reach that in like say five, six years or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So I mean, to say that a kid doesn't spend six hours of their day practicing something they're passionate about, whether it's a sport or an instrument or something like that is that's, that's definitely achievable. And I think a lot of kids do that. Like I said at the beginning, like if you just watch them, even things, and it's not even like the perfectly structured things. Like it doesn't mean that they have to be like out in the driveway, stick handling a ball. And I'm just using the example of, of hockey could mean they're like, laying in bed thinking about all the different moves they did during the day. Like that's still yeah. refining neural connections in the brain that would go into that equation. It's astonishing cool. to me whenever vis like the uh, visualization topic comes up as yeah. to the actual effects it has on your brain and how your brain can't tell the difference between you actually doing it and you visualizing it. Yeah, that is That's cool. insane to me. Yeah. Well, we got into that a little bit in last season when we were talking about the whole preparation thing right like you can apply this to public speaking right if you public speaking or, or any big presentation any big event anything that you have to perform if you just sit in your apartment nice and quiet with your eyes closed and visualize that event beforehand you're going to recognize that event when you do the real thing and then things are just going to click mm -hmm. you'll say oh i've actually been here before and this is easy right it's crazy yeah and it can be a little bit like anxiety inducing, I guess, when you're visualizing some things, especially if you're nervous about it to yeah. begin with. Um, but that's not a bad thing. Like I, so, so much of like the, uh, the ideas of taking care of yourself and decreasing stress and things like that is yeah. running from those feelings. When in fact, all that does is um, completely eliminates your ability to cope with those emotions and with those chemical signals that yeah. you're getting through your body. Like, you're a human being. It's natural for you to feel those things. Allow yourself to feel those things, recognize them. And then like Chet said, when you're in that situation, you're like, ah, I've been here before. I, I recognize these signals. I recognize these chemicals. It's like, yeah. this is a passing thing. It's just something that I'm in right now. As soon as it's done, I get to feel something completely different. And that's the whole point of being a human being. Like you don't want to dull these things down and act like everything's okay when in fact it's not. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes things aren't okay, and that's, that's right. But that is oddly okay. Yeah. That makes any sense at all. Oh yeah, definitely. So you were in a jujitsu tournament on the weekend, mm -hmm. which you won in your division. By the way, just letting everyone know, <laughs> CJSE is successful with jujitsu as well. How big is something like this in a sport like that? Me not knowing really anything about it, I would think that it's massive because what you do, I think what you do in practice is go through different possible scenarios you might find yourself in in a match and you work on how to get yourself out of that 
situation or how to get yourself into a better situation so that you're in control over the opponent. Yeah. It's, it's definitely different than a lot of the competing that I've done in recent years. The recent years for me has been fitness competitions of various types, like functional fitness or CrossFit. And for the most part, all that stuff is premeditated, right? Like, you know what the events are going to be ahead of time. Yeah. As much as CrossFit is undefined and like, you know, unknown and unknowable, you do have some sort of notice. Like before you do the workout, you know what the workout is. It's not like three, two, one, go. And then somebody just yells out a rep scheme and movements at you and you have to run and grab barbells and dumbbells and set up a rower on the fly and stuff like that. So it's not that chaotic. And even that event at the CrossFit games last year that they called chaos or whatever, it really wasn't that chaotic. It's like, no, here's a movement, do it until I say stop. And then you go to the next movement, do it. And you say stop. But like, Nobody's trying to strangle you at the same time. That's, you know, like yeah, there's nothing true. really on the line there. You still know what the skier does. You know what it does. You know your pace. Yeah. Um, you know, in a workout like that, you know, unless you're a complete dum-dum, you're not going to go all out on all the movements because you have no idea when it ends. Yeah. Um, but you have control of your pace also, which is something different. Like submission grappling, you don't have control of the pace all the time because it's, you know, two forces coming together and then you have to react to the force that's acting on you and then, you know, counter that with something that you've learned in your training. So that was cool for me. I've done a couple other competitions in submission grappling. I've competed in martial arts since I was like, I think my first competition I was eight. So I, I've, I know the feeling a little bit. It's just, it had been a really, really long time. And I was super, super nervous all day long about it. <clears> oh, <throat> um, being like, I think it was my third grappling competition this year um being a relatively new sport to me also i didn't really know too too much about what to expect but um if you were to ask kayla i'm sure she would say that i was just a complete potato all day long like potato level 1000 because um for me uh looking back on it and i don't know what happens when you're in competition mode it's hard to describe i'm sure you know what i'm talking about they don't really know exactly what you're doing leading up to it there's so much like excitement and like nervousness and anxiety that's building up and you're like trying to process that and trying to go through different scenarios in your in your mind so if somebody outside of that outside of your mind tries to talk to you you're so focused on that that you just it's just marbles like there's no real communication it's not awesome but i think i don't know how else to deal with it that's how i cope with it i guess i just focus on trying to visualize what I'm doing and things like that. Um, but it was fun. It was a fun competition. Um, but kind of going into what we're talking about today with it is like with those events and what you're feeling in those moments is like very specific to yourself and uh, nobody else really knows what that feels like, which I think is pretty cool. I think that's part of what I really like about competing. And we've talked about this a little bit before is like those experiences and those feelings are something that nobody else gets to feel. Like you're the only one that gets to feel what that feels like. You're the only one that gets to, um, you know, be excited about your success. Um, but if it goes terribly, um, have to deal with the fact that you lost and all the emotions that, go along with that. And then also in winning, learning that that's not the end. Like you're not, 
obviously everyone has work to do. So trying to keep a mindset where you can grow even from something that goes well. Um, I think that's something that can be taken away from competing in, in general is that's what I'm really impressed with. If somebody comes up to me after a CrossFit competition and they do well, and they're like, yeah, but, and they can pinpoint certain things that didn't go the way that they had planned in their mind. Right. And like, okay, well that didn't go as planned. So how do I make that yeah. go a little bit better next time? Um, and I think the best athletes do that. Um, whereas some athletes that maybe middle of the pack or somewhere near the bottom don't have the same sort of awareness all the time. And it's so much about points winning and losing as a success measure rather than what they expected out of themselves and what the result was because winners expect to win, right? Um, using CrossFit, um, or let's use a better example. Let's use uh, Tiger Woods in his prime because <clears throat> that's a kind of a broader yeah. audience. Like the amount of swag that he that was a it was, it was unbelievable. <clears throat> it completely changed the game. Um, and the amount of confidence that he had, like he knew he was going to win, but even when he won, if you listen to his interviews, it was never about the fact that he won. It was about what he didn't do well. And you can go back and watch them. Watch him. He's wearing the same red every single interview, so it looks like the same one. But every single Sunday after he won, he doesn't talk about what he did well. He talked about what he needs to do better for next time. Yeah. And that's what made him the best in the world. Even though he knew he was the best, it didn't matter. He still wanted to be better. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, he was pretty ridiculous, really. We've definitely... Uh... We lived through a pretty good era. Our living, sorry, through a pretty good era for athletes like that. You kind of, you always lose sight of that and look behind you and go, oh man, like all those athletes, those insanely successful ones that were around, I wish I could have been around when they were around, blah, blah, blah. But he was, there's a couple going on right now in hockey for sure. Oh yeah. Crosby, Ovechkin, um, LeBron, pretty ridiculous. I don't know jack about basketball, but everyone says he's like obviously once in a generation player, just being so well-rounded. And so, yeah, it is. It's fun to watch those athletes, especially with their interviews, because that's when their their mindset comes out, mm -hmm. which at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I mean, that's why they're so skilled. That's why they're so successful is because of what's in between their ears. Right. So... That's a big part too. It's not just the, the skill factor. They are skilled because they are so mentally on point. Yeah. And every championship interview you ever listen to, you'll hear an athlete say, I've seen this before. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like they've, they've for sure visualized themselves being there, winning the championship. They're like I've seen all this already. Like I knew this was going to happen. Um, the latest big star in MMA right now, um, Izzy or Israel Alizik. I can't pronounce his last name. Um, he's got a crazy last name. He's a new uh, middleweight champion in the USC, and he's just like that. He's just kind of like Conor McGregor, where he has that polarizing sort of personality. Um, but all the interviews are like, I knew this was going to happen. I'm not surprised. Like, this is what I expected to happen. I knew this was going to happen. I've seen this happen. Um, like this guy, um, it was pretty crazy entrance and everything to his last fight. And then before the round that he knocked out his opponent, he takes out like a pretend notebook out of his pocket and signs it. It was like death note. 
<laughs> goes out and knocks the guy. But just like having that level of confidence and knowing exactly, like that's that's insane to do. And like to be like that in that kind of sport where it's like, if you talk so much shit and then yeah, you get crazy. beat in front of millions of people, like how do you live with that? So these guys talk so much shit leading up to a fight, perform, do exactly what they say they're going to do, and everyone's like, what just happened? Like, how does somebody, you know, just create something out of nothing, really? Like, you have, there has to be a starting point to that. So I have no idea where that started for this guy. But, like, how he got from there to where he is now, that's the coolest thing about sports to me it's just the yeah. stories of the athletes is incredible and it's all about in their mind it's never about the physical it's always i've seen this uh you know i've rehearsed this over and over again um i expected this and it's just it's super cool israel adesanya yeah i pronounced that last name i can't i got marbles in my mouth there's probably i maybe butchered it but that's what it looks like yeah that's wicked though He's a cool dude. If, if you guys are into just studying the mindset of athletes, just listen to an interview. Post-fight interview, pre-fight interviews, doesn't matter. It's just so cool to get. To me, it's cool to get a little look inside. Yeah, it is. It's cool listening to those guys, like listening to those podcasts that they're on. Yeah. So should we jump into, you had a note on, um, remind me what that was. I think the big thing for what we were kind of talking about before we started this is just how, like you said at the beginning, um, hitting 90% of your one or max as an example on any day of the week is more mental than physical. So I think we're going to talk about like what sort of mental blocks you can set up for yourself in order to prevent you from being able to yeah. perform well and how you can go about uh, improving your practice so that you perform better. I like that. Well, I think you could you could probably back things all the way up to warm up. In my opinion, I mean, if if things maybe feel a little bit slower, a little bit heavy in warm up, you can totally let that get to you. And same thing, this would apply in every sport, whether it's you know you're on ice warm up before the actual game for hockey. Um, again, I don't really have experience in other sports, but you name it, I'm sure it applies across the board. Fitness as well, definitely. If you know that later that day you're going to go for like a high percentage or even a, uh, a one rep max attempt or, or even a competition or whatever, if things just aren't feeling as good as you think they should and warm up, that's not the issue. It's how you then deal with that. Like, are you right. going to let that get to you and say, oh, I, just, I feel tired today, I, yeah. you know, but things just aren't there. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to lift this today well boom that's i mean you just kind of decided right then and there by yeah, letting bother. that thought slip into your head yeah you already lost at that point yep. don't even bother doing it i have a good example of this actually i think it was a couple of years ago there was this uh in the open there was a snatch and chest bar ladder mm -hmm. and the snatch weight went up every time and i think the chest bar reps uh i can't remember how it went i think the chest bar reps went up started at three and went up by threes maybe I don't know, somebody's screaming at me. They know what it is. Um, but uh, watching Dan do this workout. So I was scoring for him. He's doing his warm-up. The heaviest barbell he was planning on getting to in that workout was 245 pounds. 
and he couldn't hit 205 in warm-ups to save his life. <laughs> okay? Uh, Doesn't get rattled. He misses, kind of steps back. It's like, whatever. Steps back up. Misses again. He's like, well, I got to get my first attempt in, so I'm going to go for it right now. And I was like, okay, what well, weights do you want to? He's like, well, I want all of them now because I still plan on getting – I'm going to go for the 245-pound bar. Doesn't work out. I think the barbell before the 245-pound bar was 205, and he had to do multiple repetitions, hits them all, and then up to 245, hits a few there. Just like in that – like that warm – for your example, that warm-up went terribly, yeah. right? When you're workout, you have to get to 245. You would like to warm up to even more than that so that that weight doesn't feel as heavy. But this guy is able – such like a game day sort of person and just such a like pure athlete that he was able to completely shut that negative down or maybe not shut it down, maybe just use it in a different way. I'm not yeah. inside his brain. I don't know how it worked. But the performance that he had relative to his warm-up was just, you know, night and day. And the ability to do that – like that, like it's something that clearly he's rehearsed in his mind over and over again to a point where he's able to chant, like allow those thoughts to come in and then, you know, process it however he wants to, let it go and then just perform. And that's pretty cool. And that's what top level athletes do. Yeah, that is. Cool. And that's what top performance do. That's just what, you know, people that you want to be around do. They just lift everything up and they're not talking about the bad stuff. I think that takes knowing yourself really well too. Cause I mean, someone like that and maybe you listening, you could say the same thing. Like if you've been doing these things for a long time, you kind of learn, you learn what your strengths and weaknesses are and just learn how to deal with them. So maybe, maybe he is, or maybe you are a slow starter. It just takes you longer to get fired up and you know, that's how it is. And so it's just kind of something you go with. And so the, the crappy warm-up doesn't really – you don't let it get to you because, you know, whatever, screw it, I'm a slow starter. Like I know that once the once the whistle blows, once the game starts, I know that I'm going to be fired up and I'll just rely on my unconscious. I'll rely on my yeah. training to kind of take over, and, and that's fine. So, yeah, that's a good example right there is not, not letting a slow warm-up, slow start get to you. I think you could apply that for a number of things too. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it, it kind of, it's liberating, I think, to everyone when you actually realize that you have control over your feelings and your thoughts. Um, yeah. It's, can be daunting. It can be a little bit scary, maybe, yeah. realizing that, oh, well, this is in my control and this is something that I'm creating for myself. Um, outside of mental illness, always you know like that's how i'm talking about talk about feelings and emotions and things like that that are unrelated to you know i guess i have some kind of real life practical comments on that because i know we've been kind of abstract a little bit thus far i know um charles poliquin was big on this and i know a lot of olympic athletes were as well so i and i can't remember who it might have been maybe Ben Johnson, I can't remember if it was him or not. And Is that like, sprinter? yeah, and like was juicing, but throw that aside because everyone during that era was juicing. He was so maybe if you remove all the roids, he still would have been the best because every single person he was competing against was juicing. Yeah, so just wrong. throw that to the side. He would hit like 
I don't know if it was max or just incredibly high percentages, but he would back squat before a 100 meter sprint just to get that central nervous system firing lit up. That's cool. Poliquin was really big on this too. Charles Poliquin with a lot of his athletes, Olympians included, he would have them not always right before. Sometimes it would be earlier that day. He would have them perform very, very low repetition, like one, two reps at very, very high percentages. Again, can't remember if they went to max 100% or if it was always just like 90 plus, but very few reps, obviously very few sets, never going to fatigue, but just as explosive as possible. And then that would help them kind of be ready to just fire later on. And I think he, NHL players, I think he did it with maybe rest like Olympic wrestlers again i can't really remember the specifics but you could apply this i used to try this with hockey to be honest and i i liked it a lot because i was always one of those slow starters like i felt like i wouldn't really i never felt my best until like halfway through the second always felt the best in the third that's kind of just the way i was and i found that if i would do like a little short kind of activation workout with these high percentages very low reps very explosive earlier in the day then i just felt more ready to go come game time so there is, there's definitely something to that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel this same way with um, like even workouts, um, fitness, if you do, or if, sorry, if I do some type of like activation, lighter volume workouts early in the day, and then I go back and lift later in the day, same thing. I always just feel like I'm so much more fired up, ready to go. The heavy weights just don't feel as heavy. Everything's more poppy. And so I think that works for some people too. And considering Poliquin used it, there's obviously something there because he had a ton of success. Yeah, for sure. I wonder what, if he had a name for that. Um, I don't know. They actually had a post on it very, very recently. Maybe just, to be honest, it might've just been like CNS activation training or something like that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think... The cool part about that, like, yeah, for sure, the body's getting going before the game, but mentally also you're focusing in on your and yeah. becoming more in tune with how you're feeling that day, um, which carries a lot of weight to it as well. You get yourself fired up early in the day instead of just sitting around waiting, yeah. getting anxious and nervous and using, you know, that could be used negatively, I guess. <clears throat> I like that Paul Quinn stuff is still coming out. Yeah, I know. Pass, it's cool that they're keeping that going. It's got a lot of... It's so... I know I've mentioned this on here before, but it's so crazy how ahead of the game or how ahead of the curve he was with everything. Yeah, like, he was, he was applying concepts and principles that had zero research, for one. But just, like, for one, like, his success rate, like, the amount of Olympians and professional athletes he worked with and... If you ever, I would recommend this to anyone who's interested in like kind of the finer details behind, especially strength and conditioning, kind of like, I don't even know what you call them, like top principles and tactics for, you know, gaining strength fast or building hypertrophy as fast as possible for specific muscle groups, whatever, because he just had so many interesting concepts to go about this that were just based on his massive client pool like he just applied these to so many different people 
and throughout the years figured out what worked the most for the most number of people, what didn't work. And now like years and years later, the research is just catching up to it. And it's like, you know, this is the best way to build hypertrophy fast. Whereas Pollock would have been like, no shit, I've been doing that for like 20, 30 years. <laughs> yeah, so cool. it's cool. Yes. Just ahead of the ahead of the curve for sure. Yeah. Um I had one thing that I wanted to get into, but and I know we gotta get going soon. So um, I basically just want to talk about how we can teach control for your thoughts. <clears throat> And why you might feel like you're in a bit of a cycle when it comes to training. So some days you're on a big, big, big high. Yeah. Then the next day you come in and it's super, super low. Um, you know, one day you're excited to go to the gym. The next day you're not excited to go to the gym. That happens to everybody. So how can we control and become a little bit more even keeled and a little less of the peaks and valleys? Yeah, I like that a lot. So, I mean, like, it's easy to say you're in control of your feelings, you're in control of your emotions, but that's kind of like saying uh, you're in control of squatting well when you're training. Like, there has to be some sort of um, process to learning how to squat better, right? Like, the setup where the barbell is, you know, the load sequencing, tempos, sets and reps, and, like, all the little intricacies. So, just saying, like, well, change your mind and just be motivated and excited, whatever that means, isn't very productive at all. But I think the biggest problem that we run into um, that I don't think a lot of people realize is that um, so much of our body and mind kind of like lives in the past through past experiences, past traumas, whatever. And we can really become, I guess, familiar with feelings of stress. So then the more familiar you are with something, typically the more comfortable you are in that environment. Um, so think about it like going to your grandparents' house or something like that. Like when you go to your grandparents' house, you feel pretty safe and, you know, it's a familiar spot. There's a lot of nostalgia there. And like you could just kind of chill and be happy and content talking to people, whatever. At least that's how I feel. My grandparents pick a spot, your cottage, you know, um, your aunt and uncle's house, wherever that spot that brings that sort of comfort feeling to you. Now, People have the ability to have that same sort of feeling with certain, um, you know, uh, chemicals that get released with certain feelings and emotions um, that can become very addictive, just like being addicted to substances. Because the way, the same reason why gambling can be an addiction, I guess, would be a good example. Gambling can give some people that really, really high feeling when you win. And then there's also the really low stressful points if you lose a lot of money or something like that. You can create that in your day-to-day life without needing a specific substance, which is kind of scary, but not very scary if you are aware of it and you understand that you're in control of this feeling that you're having and you're in control of putting yourself in that environment or not. So... Step one is really you have to be willing to like cooperate with this whole process, right? You have to be in tune with the fact that, yeah, I have this pattern that I'm following. I talk myself out of lifts. I talk myself out of training. I talk myself out of consistency. I talk myself into going to McDonald's. I talk myself 
into these certain things because I know it's bad, but when I get those sad feelings and like those guilt feelings, I, it's so familiar that you actually feel comfortable there. And it's kind of abstract, but that is sort of the premise of this whole idea. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So in that little <laughs> safe zone that you built up for yourself and you're wallowing sorrows, not to be too mean, but like that's kind of where you feel comfortable at this point in time. Like it's easier for me to be scared and sad and worried than it is for me to go and try something new. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Why do you think that is? Why, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it's a comfort thing. It's the same reason why. It's easier, I guess. It's easier. It's easier. I suppose. Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. For me, I can think of something right off the bat. It's easier for me um, to go and do work and program or go to the gym than it is for me to put away my laundry. Okay. Like, I never put away my laundry, <laughs> right? And it's yeah. like. Do I get pissed off when I have to dig through a pile of clothes to find a sock? Yep. Do I change it? Nope. Am I in control of that? 1,000%. I could change it right now. I could go home. I'm going to go to the gym to do some work, and then I'm going to go train. Um, I have a pile of laundry at home. I could just go home and do the laundry, but I'm going to avoid it. And I'm going to go to find some shit tomorrow morning, and I'm going to get pissed because I can't find it. And you know who did it? Me. I'm responsible for that. But that's kind of an example and just, yeah, that's good. you know what I mean? <laughs> like everyone does it in some way, shape or form. It's just like how detrimental is this to your actual physical being in your, you know, yep. mental state to me? Like it doesn't make me sad that my laundry's not done. I just get pissed off at myself <laughs> and annoyed. Yeah. Um, so like this, you know, that obviously that's like a misalignment in my day. And when I can't find my sock, that re- delivers some sort of stress response to my body because I'm like, flustered because i always run last minute i know you feel that oh yeah (laughs) if i got a coach at four i'm leaving at the very last second to get there i need to get there right on time um hey no work was ever sorry let me rephrase that (laughs) no top work was ever completed ahead of time the best work always under pressure last minute i don't care what anyone says i like that theory so I'll stick with that. <laughs> teachers, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, you know, teachers all the way up elementary school, high school, even university, plan ahead, set aside this amount of time every day so that you complete this ahead of time. Bullshit. I'm going to wait until the night before and I'm going to write that entire essay in 12 hours and it's going to be a hell of a lot better than any other essay I would have wrote ahead of time. It is. Delay those due dates, I guess. Yeah. So, like, in this little um, loop, people just become addicted to that rush of chemicals. Your body can't tell the difference of the stress hormones. They don't know where it's coming from. They don't. It's hard. Sometimes it's like um, you can get, like, a big adrenaline rush because um, somebody cut you off in traffic. And, like, you perceive that as being negative your body. You know, it's kind of like, well, I've felt this before, doing something that I enjoy. Like, yeah. uh, it's hard to differentiate between the two. Um, so you just get stuck in that loop. And then... The reason why it seems to always be a negative thought loop that you get stuck in is because it's familiar and it's easy. It doesn't involve you branching out into um, anything else. So that forces people to cling more to like their internal suffering or their thought that they can't or they suck at something than it is to just you know take a chance at maybe maybe today's the day that the snatch technique clicks for you, right? 
Yeah. But if your mindset going into it is I suck at snatching, you best believe you're going to suck at snatching, right? You already did it. But if you, if you go in with an open mind, then the chances increase that you're going to be able to create some sort of positive. But that's that's the uncomfortable part is switching over from feeling negative and being stuck in that negative stress loop and then branching out into something that is a little bit scarier. And I can I see that at the gym quite a bit. Um, and it, it's you, you can usually you can feel when somebody's going into the workout they're just not they're not vibing to it. Yeah, they're just it, not quite it, feeling it. And it feels kind of awkward too. Yeah. Is yeah, because like you said, you can just kind of feel it coming off of them, and you like you kind of want to watch them, but at the same time, you don't want to look because you know they're going to get angry and mad. And, oh, I totally know what the feeling you're talking about. It, yeah, so yeah. like peeking. But I I also that. feel like I'm a lot. I feel like I'm very sensitive to feeling awkward situations. You know what I mean? Like some people could, the good, a good example is like taking selfies or something like that in public when a bunch of people are around, like you will, I won't be caught dead doing that. Cause I just feel so damn awkward. <laughs> Even like, I, so I don't know. I'm really sensitive to feelings of awkwardness. So maybe that's not everyone, but I do know what you mean. Like you can kind of sense that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that trickles through the entire gym. So that's part of being like a good, gym partner too right that a good community member is get get your shit together yeah for lack of a better term like just just own it right like well it could go bad and it could go well so what what do you want to pick like you, you get to pick one so which one are you going to pick yeah and then if it goes bad but you had a positive mindset going into it you're going to be able to notice the things that you need to improve instead of just being pissed that it went terribly and just leaving yeah right it's a it's that growth or fixed mindset thing that a lot of people talk about a lot. It's like, well, I'm fixed in this pattern or I could get really uncomfortable for a little while and make drastic progress. And that's not, that's a cool thing about fitness for me too. Like that doesn't just help somebody get better at snatching. That just helps people cope better with everyday stress too. Yeah. And I think if we're talking about tools that you can easily, easily apply to fix some of these bad thinking processes, I would say, I would say one is to find like a, if you're not already training in a group or with someone else and you're regularly training on your own is to like find a training buddy or start training in groups, classes, whatever, because you just don't, you just don't have the time to think about this shit when you're training with other people. Like you just kind of get shooting the shit, um, you know, whatever, have a good conversation, crack jokes. And then before you know it, you kind of hit a PR and you didn't even really think about how you were feeling. So I think that's a, and that's definitely from this coming from me, someone who like 99% of the time trains by myself. That's definitely one of the things that I miss about, you know, group class, team competitions, that type of thing is because every once in a while, like you said, everyone has these days. We have these days, you get in there, you just don't want to be there. Things just don't feel good. And then you start pouting maybe and throw yourself a pity party. And it's the odd time like that where you're like, shit, you know, it'd be nice to get a little group workout in, team workout in, because then you just don't have the time to think about that shit. Mm-hmm. And this process is tricky, right? It, it would follow the same 10,000-hour rule that anything else does to mastery. It takes a hell of a lot of practice yeah. to get to that point where you can, like, on a dime, change your mindset on something. Yeah. It's not – you're not going to be able to – 
So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, I'm going to the gym this afternoon, I'm going to try this. Be patient with yourself because if you try to just switch yourself over to a new feeling, yeah, you're gonna see, you're gonna feel the negative thoughts coming back in also. And then you're like, oh, and then that could kind of throw you for a spin and focus too much on those thoughts. Understand that they're gonna come, just kind of let them go, right? Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, this feeling comes up a lot. Oh, I've seen this before. Yeah. And just kind of like move on. It sounds hippy dippy. And like meditation sort of like um and i guess that's what it is uh but it, it works if you keep but you have to keep practicing every yeah. single time and showing up and being consistent with your efforts on that yeah and another part of that whole ten thousand hour equation is it's not so people always say practice makes perfect but it's actually perfect practice makes perfect mm-hmm. so there's a difference there or dedicated practice not just like mindless you know, multitasking practice. So there is definitely a difference there. Like you have to be intentional with things. Writing things down is a way to be intentional. So it's not just, if we're using this example of the gym, it's not just you're on your way there, driving there, and you step out of your car, grab your gym bag, and just kind of think to yourself, you know what, today I'm going to be better. Well, what the hell does that mean? Like that's not very, it's not very intentional or that's not perfect practice. Like we're talking kind of plans, writing things out. Like if this, if this specific thing pops into my head that I, or sorry, if this particular response pops into my head when I miss my next lift. So let's say classically, whenever you miss lifts, you have this exact same response in your head and it goes a little something like, Oh, I'm weak and tired today. Why can't I lift this? I suck at snatching. Well, if you just write something like that down, like whenever this response pops into my head, I'm going to literally rephrase that and say, no, I just need to work on this. I need more practice. I'm going to be better at this right. or something like that. So it, it is, it, I, I do think that it takes being that like diligent and specific on these things. And that this is kind of some stuff that I, I really wish I knew more about this stuff and cared more about it when I was a lot younger, like early teens, especially. And I think that is, I think it is the, the athletes who master this at a younger age. I think those are the ones that go on to be the professionals, whether they know they're doing it or not. Some have probably been taught some just automatically do it, whether that's from influence from peers or family or whatever. But I I do think that, that would be the difference maker. And like you mentioned at the start, we'll never know because only only you individually know what the hell you're actually thinking and feeling during sporting athletics competition. But I think that's, a it, again, it's what's between your ears. Yeah. So I guess that's the theme of this episode here today. Yeah. And the more you focus on that stuff, the more abstract it can kind of feel yeah. sometimes. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It's we all feel it. We all have the same emotions. Yeah. I have a little trick for something practical and something you can use, like just using snatching as an example, um, or any movement that you're kind of working on, or any skill that you're trying to develop is to create like three steps in your mind that you have to complete in order to have a successful outcome. Um, and I learned this from. Chad Vaughn, when he came and did a weightlifting seminar at the gym, 
I think it was last year, maybe two years ago now. I don't know. It, it was yeah, a year and a half or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was in the spring. Anyway, if you haven't heard of Chad Vaughn, he's incredible um, Olympic weightlifter um, from the States. And not only that, but just an incredible coach and a really good follow on Instagram, actually. If you're looking for tips and tricks for weightlifting, he's got a lot of good stuff on there. Um, and he's just super cool guy. It was just it was nice to have him around. Is he the squat university or is he actually under his own name? Because don't they um, feature him a lot? They feature him quite a bit because he does have a lot of good content. Um, but he's with the Power Monkey team. Oh, okay. And he has his own weightlifting, uh, Vaughn weightlifting. Um, but his his thing was creating a mantra for every movement. And now in the seminar was obviously for snatching and cleaning jerks because that's what we were focusing on because it was a weightlifting seminar. But it, I took it and tried to apply it to just multiple things and see how it affected the outcomes there. But the, the premise is you pick three things, um, one thing for the start, one thing for the middle, one thing for the finish, and all for conscious things, not the unconscious things. So using snatch as an example, like catching the bar, that's an unconscious response. You're not consciously thinking to catch the bar. It's a reaction that your body has naturally. And, you know, like there's cues to help you with the position of the catch, but physically catching the barbell is something that you just do out of a reaction. The only way it doesn't happen is if you mentally stop yourself from doing it, right? And we all know the, the thing, the big high pull that happens. Like you just forget to finish the movement. Yeah. You just voluntarily stop doing it. That's not that's not an unconscious thing. You stop yourself from That's That's doing interesting, it. though, because there is definitely a split second in there where, like, you don't know what's going. You don't know what happens. Like, you know, you just kind of black out, and it's like, I hope I catch it. Yeah. So the three things for snatching that he um, had for for me was um, close, uh, no feet, nope, that's not it, um, what was the first one? Oh, first was tall, close, no feet. Those are the thing, three things I had to think about. So instead of cueing like butt down, chest up, knuckles under, all the specific things that like rhyming him out at me, his cue is tall. So in my setup, get taller. The barbell is getting away from me in the second pull. So once the bar cleared the knees, I just think about close. And then I was jumping back too far. So I was trying, he said no feet. So I would think about using my legs more to drive through the ground and then drop under the catch just as a reaction, right? So those are the three things that I was focusing on. But when you give yourself three things to focus on, what I noticed in my weightlifting ability is that I was able to understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. And it, bring, it brought me some clarity and something to work on every single rep instead of just, oh, okay, I'm going to go snatch. Like, well, what, what does that mean? Mm. Right? So it gave me three things to focus on. And three things is pretty easy. Even when you're moving quickly through a snatch movement, you can think tall, close, no feet. That's pretty easy oh, yeah. to say in your head. No matter how fast you're moving the barbell, it's not moving that fast. Um, so applying that to whatever you're doing gives you some sort of control. And then if a rep doesn't go well, it gives you three things like, well, which of the three didn't go well, right? Did my feet move out too much? Okay. Well, we know from like a coaching standpoint, then that means I didn't drive my legs to the ground and I got behind the bar too early with my shoulders and like all these technique things went off, but I can't think of that when I'm trying to snatch. So the more, 
words you have flying around in your brain box while you're yeah. trying to snatch, the more detrimental it's going to be. So it simplifies everything for you. It takes a lot of practice to do that, to pick it out and probably take for movements it'd probably take a coach to help you do that. Um, but you can definitely apply that to even just getting to the gym, right? What three things you kind of need to have. Yeah, that's cool. Before like you go. It's kind of cool. I do have, I have a lot of questions in response to that, but we don't have time. <laughs> so I'll, I'll save them. So, no, I like that. I, I think we could definitely keep that last part going because that's, my opinion, probably something that a lot of people would love to have more practical tips around, I think, because something like Olympic weightlifting is just so bloody complex and sometimes it can be overwhelming thinking about what to work on. I, I even see this during group class sometimes. It's like you give someone a cue or a pointer and then you watch them and they're set up for the next lift and their eyes are, you can't see me right now, but their eyes are shooting 10 different directions all at once. Cause they're trying to think about all the different cues and the order of different events to make sure they hit during the lift. And so, yeah, something like that, I think would be very cool. So that's it. Got to go. That's a wrap. Um, you guys know where to find us. Would love to have some questions, comments, and feedback in response to this. Let us know what you think if you have any questions in response to this. We managed to get a couple people, a couple guests booked. Yeah, we did. Um, I don't want to mention the one because I don't want to butcher their name. Like I, you know, I know who it is. I just can't specifically remember what their actual Instagram handle is. So I don't want to give it right now, but another group based out of London successful physiotherapists have their own podcast um been doing it for longer than we have a lot of expertise gonna be cool to talk to them um yeah some other kind of strength and conditioning folk as well cool all right all right see you so